Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. I think that the biggest thing is setting the standard and setting the culture. Mm. Um, that, you know, in the program that we have, um, the one thing when I started coaching was I started asking about school. You know, how you guys doing in school? Because school and sports in the States are integrated. If you're not going to school and you're not going to class on time, that affects everything that you do on the basketball court, yep. whether you get kicked off the team, whatever it is. And so there was... The integration between school and sports is not a a thing in Australia. Great to be back with you here, as always. Following our fresh podcast rebrand, we've now updated our promotional package prospectus, which you'll find in our show notes and on our website at humansofpurpose.com. Our promotional packages enable values-aligned people and their organisations to reach our growing audience, translating to roughly 10,000 episode listens per month in Australia and globally, as well as a growing social media community online. Our demographic is primarily 25 to 44-year-olds who are senior leaders in their organisations and more or less based in urban centres across Australia. As part of our social enterprise model, we limit these promotional spots to 10 out of 50 each year to fund the podcast and have just a few spots remaining for the year. You can learn more about this limited opportunity and get in touch via the show notes. As a keen listener, if you want a bit more Humans of Purpose every week, now is a great time to become a member with just a month left of our 30% off winter sale, and that's for monthly and annual memberships. This week, we welcome Jeff and Sarah as new annual members, and with membership, you'll get every episode ad-free, a bonus audio note with a bit more context on each episode, a full transcript of each episode, and my top five insights and takeaways from every episode too. Check out the link in our show notes to learn more. We're proud to be sponsored by the great folk at Neon Treehouse, who are still the best digital agency on the planet Earth. They do all our marketing and socials and are doing a fantastic job for a great cause. You can learn more about them in our show notes. This week, I'm thrilled to welcome Manny Hendricks to the podcast. Manny is the Director of Basketball at the Collingwood Basketball Association. Collingwood Basketball Association is a not-for-profit community-based basketball club which offers young and older players in inner-city Melbourne the opportunity to participate in a variety of competitions and programs. I had the good fortune to meet Manny recently at a Coda Capital event on philanthropy and loved the way he presented himself and his mission at Collingwood Basketball. Manny is far more than a basketball coach. He's a mindset coach, a mentor, and a truly unique personality wired to help young people succeed in sport and in life. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Manny as much as I did. Oh, what a pleasure. Manny, good morning. Great to have you. Good morning. Thanks for the invite. You got your spice chai. Happy man. Yeah. Well, I definitely am not a coffee drinker. Yeah. I was and, surprised by the knockback on the coffee. But I'll explain to you why that I don't drink coffee. And it sounds weird, but let me finish. <laughs> so, Well, in Melbourne, that's kind of an insult. First it, off it the rank, you know. Is. So when I was 11 years old. Yep. I made an executive decision that I'm not going to eat beans. Whoa. Like at 11 years old, I'm not going to eat any kind of bean. Whoa, that's that's like some bean discrimination. Do you have a basis for that? No, I just <laughs> just kind of like just 
didn't really like them as much, like barbecue beans, refried beans, green beans. Like if it has beans in it, I'm not going to eat it. So that was that coffee. Uh, chocolate. Chocolate, good Mexican food. I don't eat the beans. Ooh. So you can so have the Mexican rice. food and no beans. Yes. Ooh. So when good I was loophole. 11 years old, I made that decision and I'm sticking with it. Okay. Are you going to ever revisit it or that, that's set in stone? Um, I have drank um, an iced caramel latte from McDonald's. Was it good? Yeah, it was sweet. So as long as it doesn't taste like coffee, <laughs> as long as it doesn't taste like coffee, I can drink it. So it got to be a lot of sugar in it, um, so it almost tastes like a hot chocolate. You need you need those calories for your life, man. You have a fast paced life, and you have a new child like me. I do have a new child. Um, How are you feeling about being a new daddy? It's the best experience that I've experienced to date. Like I cried so much in the room when my daughter was born that. It actually made my girlfriend cry because she's never <laughs> seen me that emotional before. That's amazing. But I, like, I'm kind of getting kind of choked up thinking about now. Like, a baby's birth is the most beautiful thing in the world, and no man could ever do that. Like, yeah, I roll my ankle on the basketball court, and I'm out for six weeks. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't even imagine pushing the baby out. Um, I'm man. I'm exactly. I mean, I found it to be the most um, like life affirming experience. Yeah. Like, if there's anything that can center you full of joy in a moment, it's that. It is that, and there's something therapeutic about holding a baby and watching them fall asleep. Oh yeah, like, I actually. Um, you know, the thing is, even when I find that Milo's having a really rough day and he's crying, but then when you pick him up, he's quiet for a little yeah. bit. Just those little moments of connection. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, my daughter, she's pretty chilled, but when you go to change her, you got about a minute and 15 seconds to get it done <laughs> or she's losing her mind. And she's kicking and she's crying and she's doing all that stuff. And then as soon as you get done and pick her up, it's like an instant switch of not crying anymore. <laughs> like it just, as soon as you pick them up, they just go mute. So, yeah, I'm on the timer. When it comes to um, changing the diapers, yeah, Milo's got like the same um, explosive charge countdown. Where it's like, if you if I wake up and you're not feeding me within two minutes, oh. I'm gonna go bananas. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> like, and I had, you know, when I first had her, like I was super gentle, you know, and so I would kind of put the diaper on loosely, yeah, real soft, and and she had a few kind of poo explosions. Oh yeah, and, but it was when it was you know my girl's time to change her, so. I never really had to deal with it, but Sunday night she had one and I was home and like I almost had like my first emotional breakdown just looking at how much <laughs> like, you know, how did, how did you produce that much and why is it everywhere and can you please be still? You can't cry right now. I want to cry like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, man, so. you're reminding me of the first time that uh, Marlo shat all over my chest and I, oh, I was like, man. This is wild, but also I'm kind of proud of you. I'm proud yeah. to be your daddy. Yeah. You know, like this Absolutely. is a rough moment, but we're going to get through this together. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So I was um, really like impressed meeting you the other day. We had like a little philanthropy sort of get together boardroom style. I yeah. roll into the boardroom. I think oh, I'm definitely going to be the uh, most casual dressed person in this boardroom Yeah, because that's normally my style. You know, I've got my jeans and my kicks and I, I sort of have a plan. Then I roll in and I see Manny Hendricks Jr. in there rocking a tracksuit and some <laughs> dope kicks. And I, I was just like, this guy is winning, he's winning the game. And you, the way you stood out was just Amazing, and your authenticity you brought to the room and your kind of presence. I just thought 
this guy is coming on the podcast. He might not know it yet, but I need to talk to this guy. <laughs> I appreciate that. For me, I, I want to walk into every room as myself. Like that's super important to me. Um, do I like wearing jeans and, and suits and button-up shirts and stuff like that? I'll wear them if the occasion fits, you know, but in the lifestyle that I have and in, in, in what I do, you know, casual, you know, as a basketball coach, as a basketball player, you, you're in shorts and T-shirt a lot or you're in a tracksuit. So um, you, you, you're just being you all I'm the time. Be, I'm being me all the time. So I went in the room and I was like, oh, like, uh-oh. This is gonna be, you know, this is gonna be interesting. Like I'm, I'm in a different environment than what I'm used to. But can I live in this space? How did you feel about it? How did you feel it all went? I thought it went really well because, you know, when when you people ask like, you know, what's your spirit animal? What animal do you think that you most resemble? Everyone asks that. That's like a common question, right? And I would say that um, a chameleon. Oh, so you can kind of adapt to any environment. Yep. And so the only way to adapt to that environment is to jump in feet first, you know. Oh, yeah, um, and absorb it all. And yeah, like, and so the most nervous I was, and this has been a thing since I was a kid, is when you have to go around the room and introduce yourself. Oh, that's the that's worst. The, like, that's the, the most nervous. Yeah, the build-up of, like, yeah. anxiety and the fast <laughs> breathing and shit. Yep. <laughs> so it's like, oh, my name is Manny, and then sit back down. Like, oh, yeah, I do have Manny Hendrick. sorry. You know, like. <laughs> sorry, I'm apologizing. I don't know why I'm but apologizing. But after that. Like, I can just kind of talk, and there was things that were being said, and I had questions, you know. And so, I don't know, the room probably was kind of shocked that when he asked the questions, I was the first one to raise my hand. And you were asking the, the questions that everyone was thinking but was too embarrassed to ask because they were probably wearing suits and felt like people would judge them for maybe not knowing, you know. Yeah, and I didn't know. Yeah. Like, I wanted to know how the mind of philanthropy works. Yeah. And um, what did you take away from that day? It was it was a lot, you know. I think that when they talked about, you know, all the different foundations and what they're looking to do and what are their um, focal points and, yeah. and things like that to kind of understand that, that, you know, every philanthropy doesn't want to talk to you. You know, yeah. You um, you automatically think like you know I'm the product on the brand. I yeah. like I imagine that a lot of people would be lining up to meet me. Yeah, and you know even at a larger scale, it's just like so different. Yeah, because it was a lot of it was like science based. You yeah. know, there was a lot of people that were doing science stuff, and then there was you know animals. There was a whole bunch of different things that were going on. So even if there is a you know a large foundation that gives away millions of dollars every year. That doesn't mean that you'll see a dime of that because you have to look at what they're passionate about. Totally. And if they're not passionate about what you're passionate about, then you're kind of barking up the wrong tree. Yep. So just kind of understanding the mind of philanthropy. And when I said that after the meeting, the, the guy that ran it came up and, and actually um, talked talk to me. And then he's like, you know, the mind of philanthropy. I love that. Like, I'm going to dive into that. And I'm like, no problem. You just gave that guy a free topic and keynote. Yeah, in a nutshell. Why'd you do that? You should have kept that message. <laughs> because, you know, that's what I was there for in my mind was to learn the mind of philanthropy Yeah, and, and what that means. And um, you talked a bit before about sort of being shy about 
um, introducing yourself and, you know, everyone feels that. But I want to know a little bit more about you. You know, when did you grow up? What's your background like? You know, also how do you make it here? Yeah. Um, So I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. I was born in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I lived in Dallas for about seven years. My dad played for the Dallas Cowboys in the 90s. And then after that, he actually played college basketball and then went on to play in the NFL. So he's oh, one wow. of 10, 10 athletes to ever do that in the sport. So you're genetically blessed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but my mom was also a four-sport All-American in high school as oh, well. Wow. So sports and, fam- sports and family just is big. Your and daughter's already in the All-Australian Yeah, yeah, TV she's, already, she's already in that, in that uh, category. <laughs> and so we, he went to the University of Utah. So after he retired from playing, we moved back to Utah. That's where I grew up. That's why I went and played high school basketball and, you know, went on to play college basketball, got into some trouble school-wise and a little bit of attitude issues. Um, my uncle played in Australia in the 90s. So really? To, yeah, so he used to always talk to me about Australia. Yep. And so when I was kind of done playing college, it was that conversation about, you know, well, you're not good enough to make the NBA. You can't go overseas and make some money and try to have a career. And so um, I contemplated putting the ball down just because you just basketball since your eighth, ninth grade, you have to have a certain level at all times. Oh, yeah. You you do get burned out. I can imagine it would just be like very intense. Yeah. And so I I decided like, you know what, I'll give it a year and see what happens. Um, And my uncle's teammate who – is from Australia, reached out to my dad at the University of Utah and just asked, do you know any players that are looking to play? And I was just getting done with my uh, senior year. So I sent over my highlight tape and we're able to get a deal done actually 10 years ago to this year. Happy anniversary. Thank you. February <laughs> 1st. So that's kind of the... Um, Who'd you play with? Uh, Southern Peninsula Sharks. Fantastic. So I went from a city boy to like landing in Melbourne Driving on the freeway, seeing all this, all the buildings, and then kind of driving through the country, <laughs> you know. So, and then it became like no more stop, stop no more stoplights, roundabouts, and I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> you know. And I'm starting to see horses and cows and stuff. So, it was it was definitely um, interesting for sure. So, is that in the Mornington Peninsula? Yeah, so it's all the way in Rosebud. Oh man, that's so a- I went all the way to where the freeway stops. Like, Whoa. there's no. No, you can't go any you further. Can't go any, you can't go any further. <laughs> That's a nice area, though. Eh? Did you like it up there? Um, I did, but I'm not because Salt rural. Lake City is mountains. Yep. So it's not water. So I didn't grow up around water. So the ocean and the beaches don't really appease me the same way like a mountain would. And yep. kind of, you know, so yep. I do like the water, but I think there's a lot of scary stuff in the water that. <laughs> You know, nobody <laughs> talks about. But so I don't really go too far in the water, but it, it's peaceful. I think that drive from the city to Rosebud, just the speed of it, and then once you get back, yeah. it's real quiet. You That's take the freeway or the Esplanade? Um, this is before pre freeway. This is pre freeway. So you so have to go like right up um, Frankston, Frank's through Frankston. Yeah. Oh, you got to experience some real Melbourne. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so I just had to go up through Frankston, but. Yeah, I, I love my time here. Yeah, fantastic. And so did you always, like, what was your first memory of basketball and your connection to the game? Um, my first memory would have to be playing, like, we had a boys and girls club. And 
it had I might have been in third, fourth grade, and just we used to lower the hoop. And so trying to dunk that was like a thing for me. Trying to dunk like five and a half, six feet at as nine years old was like everything to me. Yep. You know, and really my older sister was really good at basketball and one of the top players in the country. So I got to watch her my whole childhood to see the way that she trained and like her work, her working out with my dad and me wanting to be a part of that. And so being able to see my sisters was actually my biggest motivation because before I could play, I was watching them and seeing so what they can do. This is sort of like part of being an athletic family, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so absolutely. it was always going to be – so was the track always set for you that you wanted to either play or coach? Play? Absolutely. You know, I didn't I didn't think I would coach until I actually came to Collingwood. Oh, wow. So I, I was doing things that in Rosebud and I went and played a little bit in Westonport as well. And I would do individuals with kids, but I never coached teams. And when I came to Collingwood and kind of saw a lot of the inner city kids that – Reminded me of, of myself, even though I didn't grow up in the inner city, I played with a lot of kids that did, and I saw the path that they went down and what we were missing as young kids. And so I saw that in those kids, and so I'm like, you know what, I need to coach these kids to kind of give them that direction and routine that a lot of my friends didn't get and try to help them in the pitfalls that I had along the way. And so that's really why I got into coaching. So I had no plans of actually coaching, I wanted to be more of an athletic director like my dad. So I want to hire and fire the coaches and yep. make sure everything is kind of running smoothly. That was my thing. And then I fell into coaching and trying to have some success with it. And, yeah, this is where we are. And so on the court, were you um, quite vocal? Like did you find your voice as a kind of coach and mentor from your playing days or was it something you had to develop along your journey? No, I definitely had to develop it. Like on the basketball court, I'm not much of a talker. I talk a lot of trash <laughs> to my opponents. Why am I not surprised, man? <laughs> I talk a lot of trash. I talk a lot. Were you like, known for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I talk a lot. Um, Get into other players' heads? Yeah, but it's it's very subtle. So it's not loud. Um, the fans probably wouldn't know how much I'm saying, but I'm, yeah, I'm talking. Um, you talking the whole game? Are you like wearing your opponent down mentally? Um, like just we we had a game this past um, Saturday night, and like I it was an okay first half, and then one of the guys who I played against was actually my old club, and so he got to kind of talking trash to me. Oh, bad said, move! And I said. Uh, let us sleep in dog lay. You've heard the, you've heard the <laughs> yeah, saying, yeah. let us sleep in dog lay, right? And he's like, oh, you're, you're laying down right now or something like that. Not that I scored like nine straight points or something like that. But it's that's the fun of the game is kind of talking trash. Yep. Like, And I don't really like it if they don't talk back to me. Like, Who's your favorite like um, famous trash talker on the court? Because uh, MJ was pretty notorious yeah, for talking yeah. about a trash game. Um, I think like I'm a huge Kobe Bryant fan. Like, I, I'm a huge Kobe Bryant fan, so just the the way that he talked trash, you know, it's not so much just like you can't play, like, you know, you're not that good, you can't guard me, you know, it's more so like your coach is going to take you out here pretty soon. <laughs> you know, 
Like it's like stand up comedy. Like some yeah. of that some of that stuff is so funny. Yeah, oh, like man. if you pick up an early foul, like, oh now you can't really guard me as tough because if you get another foul, you're going out the game. So <laughs> now you're in a battle. Like, do I play him tough? Do I listen to yeah. the coach or do I stay on the court? It's like so some you just, uh, intellectual high level trash yeah, talk. Yeah, yeah. So you, you you definitely have to um you definitely have to find ways to talk trash and and get them off their game. <laughs> Uh, but you also have the advantage of being a trained um, and expert communicator. Yep. So that must have been helpful for you in your yeah, journey. And, and, and people it, probably don't know that. And there was the one thing about me that is, unless you know me, you wouldn't kind of know, but I done speech and debate year 11 and year 12. And when my English teacher told my parents I should shine up for it, I have one no parts of it because it's kind of like nerds do speech and debate, right? Yeah. Like I'm yeah. not yeah. doing that. It's like the chess club. Yeah, the know. chess club. But I but I I joined our chess club too. Good. Um, but um, I was like, no, I don't want to do it. This is you know, I don't want to argue. Blah blah blah. And I ended up saying, okay, I went to my first because um, I went to public school my whole life, and then I transferred to private school year eleven, year twelve. So they put me in uh, speech and debate. So I went to my first meet. I had to wear a uh, button-up shirt and a tie, so you already know I'm out of my element. Like, <laughs> why do I have to have this on? And so we were debating what was better, Batman or Spider-Man. Like, mm, we good both topic. had to give three minutes, and so, and then you kind of tear down the other person's argument. And the guy told me to shut up in the the meet, you know. In the, and, this is before this, the debate? This is like kind of during the debate. Like, he's dumb. He can shut up. He doesn't know what he's talking about kind oh. of thing. And, like, I came from public school. Like, you're not going to talk to me like that, <laughs> you know. So that that one got cut short, and I kind of got in trouble, <laughs> right? So then I had to learn that you can argue without being confrontational. Yeah. And once I was taught that, it was actually a gift and a curse. So then I just started arguing with, like, my teachers, started arguing with my principals because it's like – Got to beat me in an argument now. You taught me yeah, how to argue. This is me so all the time. This is me all the time. Yep. And so I used to get in trouble, but I think speech and debate actually saved my life and helped me get to the point that I am now because I'm not nervous to speak in front of people. Yeah. And I think, all. you know, this is a, such an underrated skill, like having a good conversation with another person, being able to like have an argument um, for the sake of um, discovering more or learning. Yeah. Rather than to win necessarily. Yeah. Or, or maybe it's to win. Yeah. It's all about perspective, right? And mm. it's not about you should do what I want you to do or things like I can just give you my perspective on it, then you can self-correct. I think that's super important that people understand that like an argument is not about winner or loser. It's all right, give me your perspective on it. I'll give you mine. And then you can go away and self-correct what parts that you need to self-correct. Yeah. And if you don't feel like you need to self-correct, then you don't. But like, you know, there's always that battle of like, oh, I want you to do something. Well, I don't want to do it, right? And so if you do it, then you don't care about how I feel. But if you don't do it, then you're dismissing your own feelings. So it's about perspective. And once kind of people understand that, it's like, thank you for giving me your perspective. I'll self-correct in my own time. Like, I don't have to self-correct to you. Yep. You know, I think that's super important. So that's interesting. So maybe it would be good for you um, to share a bit of that wisdom around what are the sort of like some of the communications principles or fundamentals you keep in mind when you're uh, working with your um, talented athletes? I think that the biggest thing is setting the standard and setting the culture Mm. Um, that, you know, in the program that we have, um, the one thing when I started coaching was I started asking about school. 
how you got to do it in school because school and sports in the states are integrated. So if you're not going to, excuse me, if you're not going to school and you're not going to class on time, that affects everything that you do on the basketball court, whether you get kicked off the team, whatever it is. And so there was the integration between school and sports. It's not a, a thing in Australia, yeah, you it, know, it should be though. It, it yeah. should be because it, it teaches it teaches accountability. So for the kids that I was coaching, I would ask them like, "How you guys doing in school?" Whatever the case is, oh, I'm doing good, coach. And finally, I wasn't really getting the answers that I needed, so I actually went to the schools and said, "These are my players. Can you tell me how they're doing?" And they all were not going to class, you know, and doing not well in school. So. I had to bring desks to class, I mean, to practice and make kids do homework. So then we started our homework club that it was an hour before everybody's practice. So come in an hour before, we'll have tutors there to get better. Um, so you drove that? Yeah. And so then from there, it was like, okay, how do I get them to wake up in the morning, and go to school on time? All right, let's get in the gym at 630. So if you guys want to get better, let's get in the gym at 6.30 in the morning. So now I know you're up at 6.30. You got to go to school by 8. You know, so you start to manipulate them into doing something that they're benefiting from both sides. Oh, yeah. So you kind of like set the container. Yeah. And so it that's kind of how it started. And then we kind of got to strength and conditioning. Like, you guys want to be elite level athletes. This is the thing that you have to do. No, these are the routines that you have to get into. Like, everyone is routine-based, whether you're athletes your everyday life, everybody has routines. And that's what makes you successful. But within that routine, what's your competition differentiation? I learned that word in in my senior year of college. I I loved it, fell in love with that word. But, you know, what's going to make you different from the next person that's doing the same thing as you? What do you want to sacrifice? So you start to have these conversations and you start to put these kids in different situations just to see how they manage it and guide them through it the whole time. So I think as as firstly, as a coach, you have to set the standard of, of what you're going to accept, what you're not going to accept, because what you're not going to accept will become important to your team, mm. and they'll understand that. So the, an expression I always like is um, the standard that you walk past is the standard you accept? Absolutely. I don't know. Is that something that sort of um, applies to how you handle yourself and your athletes? Yeah, because – you know, there's you can't nitpick everything, so you have to pick, win and you know win some battles, lose some. But you have to stick to what are your three most important things. You know, and I think that that's just not coaching. That's in anybody in a leadership role. What are your three most important things that you want to convey to your team? Yeah, and what are your non-negotiables? Yeah, and I think what you are doing there is you're you're setting self discipline as a non negotiable. Yeah. So you you kind of you set the container for yep. a disciplined life, and then hopefully um, the athletes and the, the students in the program learn and take that on themselves. Absolutely. So when they're done playing basketball, because you know everyone has that that goal, like I want to make the NBA or make the NBL or, or go to college and, and all these things, but there's a process to that, and you have to fall in love with the process. Like, not the outcome. The outcome, you know, every year we set out to win a championship, you know, but you you learn through the process of winning games, losing games, injuries, adversity, all these things, and then when you win the championship, it's more sweet. Oh, yeah. And so I'm curious, what is the biggest sort of challenge you find with a lot of your um, student athletes? Like, what are they – is it sort of um, just getting the school part right? 
it, it, it's it's more um, the biggest challenge is is understanding that these kids need more than just basketball. You know, like if we can, you know, in our program, we have the strength and conditioning, we have nutrition, so now they'll get food after practice. Um, we have uh, academic advisors, we have tutors that come down, you know, and we have, we teamed up with a mental mental health clinic as well so that's a wraparound support you got there. yeah so it so we're trying to get to the point that once the athletes step on a court their mind is clear you know because you know i was always taught once you step on a court nothing else matters could you do that when you when you step on the court is that when you're your most present and mindful yeah like that's that's my second sanctuary you know that that um i can just be on the court and there'll be some there would be some practices and some games where things would kind of creep in your mind to have no business being thought about throughout the game. But for the most part, um, I can zone out because I've taken care of the other things that I might think about. If you had to think a bit about sort of what will separate the kids with the most potential from making it versus the ones who, um, you know, maybe don't have that potential to make it. Yep. How much of the uplift comes from mentality and mindset versus um, physical attributes and sort of performance? Like I think that once they get to a certain age, the physical attributes matter more. But a young kid can get almost to 16, 17 years old off a of heart and work ethic. You know, um, and they done an interesting stat here in Australia a couple years ago that the kids that won nationals at under 14s or the best player in under 14s is done playing basketball by the time they're under 18. Oh, so that's sort of like peaking a bit too early or? Right. And so I think it's because when you're, when you're good at such a young age, that doesn't drive you to work harder. And so when you older you get, you might have been better than somebody. But now that they've grown and they've kept working, when it's time to actually shine, you're one of the pack now. You're not the leader of the pack. Yep. And so it's hard for kids to manage that. And so we just you know, want to encourage kids to stay in the gym, continue to get better. Don't be so focused on outcomes, just fall in love with the process, fall in love with the process, continue to get better. Like, So you, you seem to have like a, a pretty like habits and routine-based approach to success. For sure. And I, I think that, you know, whatever that routine is, it, it helps you go. It makes you tick, you know, and especially with if you're in your passion. I think it's super important that, you work in your passion, and I get that everyone can't, um, you know, work in their passion. But there's ways to get into your passion. I don't know whether. Don't take this the wrong way. Yeah. Could you be somebody who didn't work in their passion? Uh no. I no. don't think I could be either. No, I don't. I don't know if I could just clock in. No, I definitely couldn't. That's really interesting, isn't it? How people are wired and motivated. But I think I mean, I'm curious. Like, um, it must motivate you a lot to see some of the outcomes with the individuals. Yeah, and, and so the groups. We, we've sent you know in four years we've sent nine kids to college in the state. Oh my god! From here? Yeah, from here. Wow! And that's a high standard. That's a big jump, right? Yeah, it's a big jump. It's a big jump. So, like that 
to see the kids kind of go through the program and get to that level, but also the ones that may have dropped out because it was too tough or whatever it is, they still come back and and still pop in and say hi and, you know. So you're building community as well. Yeah, and, and something that, you know, they can say, hey, this Collingwood program helped me out in my life. So if, if I do ever, you know, make it or whatever it is, I'm going to give back to these young kids that are going through it now because they helped me out so much. And that's kind of the college, high school experience. A lot of people give back. To the place that they feel it's like a whole alumni thing, isn't it? As yeah, well? absolutely. I feel like we don't have the same sort of culture here. It's very different. You know, you go to school and then you kind of tap out and do your own thing. Yeah, and that connection might go away. Yeah, you don't really talk to your coaches. Like I still talk to my high school coach. I still talk to my college coaches. You know, I still talk to my trainers. And you did, know? You, did your athletes? Um, are you like in uh, text message you or whatnot? Are you chat? Yeah, so uh, it's it's funny because a lot of the kids that go over to the states, they actually call me more than when they're here. <laughs> you know, yeah, because they know that I've experienced everything that they're experiencing now, and you just have to decipher through all of that. You have to explain to them what it's like to be in the yeah, US as and, well. And this is what it's going to be if you do this. This is what's going to be if you do that. And you let the athlete choose for themselves. And what know? is the? What do you think? Like the um, oh, just your perceptions of like Australian society, Melbourne life, and also like what is the mentality of like um, if there is an average type of um, basketball player, like what's that like compared to the US? Um, I think that in the the difference is we practice more. Like we practice, you know, four or five days a week. That that's prob that's firstly. You know, and it's a lot more cutthroat in the state. So once you get to year seven, if you if you don't make kind of your junior high team, then the odds of you making your high school team are a lot lower. You know, like if you don't make the team your freshman year, year nine, you know, unless you're anomaly, you might make it year 10. But after year 10, it you know, like it's rare that they haven't found you. Yeah. And so it's not – it's getting better. Like I went back home for the first time in a couple of years, and basketball has changed. There's a lot more teams, but not elite-level teams. You know, so now there's more participation. Yep. But um, I think that here just – you know, they have the AIS where a lot of the best athletes in the country go. Yep. But as far as state-to-state, state, they don't have that, you know – 100,000 athletes or whatever it is, 10,000 athletes that are practicing five days a week. Yeah, so I guess the goal is, like, how do you take it to scale and, you know, like yeah. the system change is a slow change. Yeah, it's a, it's a slow change. And so, you know, like we practice twice a week and lift weights once a week, you know, so and we could get up to three days because that's how you get better. Like, you know, and so if you if you want to be serious about whatever sport that is, it could be basketball, football, cricket, baseball, gridiron, you got to put the time in. Yep. That's that's what it comes down to. So because everyone you're not competing with just people in your club or the neighboring club, like you're competing with the state and then the other states. And then now you're competing with kids in other countries. So it's it's always a bigger scale. That's really interesting. So different kind of level of of complexity and effort required yeah. sort of in the bigger stage. Um Thinking a bit about sort of um, outcomes overall, like obviously one success measure is the number of kids that you get to send over to U.S. colleges to play. Yeah. 
What else do you kind of see? Are you seeing um, improved community connection? Are you seeing improved educational outcomes? Uh, I think that the, the biggest thing that I enjoy about the job is motivating different athletes. Um, because at first it was just the teams that I coach were lifting weights. And then there's a group of, of, you know, 13, 14 year old girls. It's like, Hey, we want to lift weights too. We want, you know, so it's like, okay, let's get in the gym. You know, let's start doing this stuff. And then the club Collingwood itself said, how do we roll this out to everybody? And so that's what this year, this is the first year that it's rolled out. And so now you're seeing, 90 athletes lifting weights. You know, now you're seeing, you know, the mental health side of things that now, you know, we've only been doing it for a couple months and we have 10 athletes that are going off site because everything is at the stadium. So the kids don't have to go anywhere. Does Collingwood Basketball Center? Yeah. Yep. Collingwood Basketball has a weight room, has everything there. Mm-hmm. So you just have to go there. You're going to get your meal. You're going to get everything that you need. And so, the athletes knowing that, you know, this one day a week that this guy's here is not enough, I want to talk more. And and knowing that these young kids, man, what they're going through nowadays, like I couldn't imagine growing up as as kid with social media and, you know, comments oh, and a, likes. It's a new and, world out there. And so having to deal with that and play would be tough. So you, you have to listen to the kids and, and know that, um, what they're saying, you have to you have to take it serious, and just that subtleness about now we have ten athletes out of you know ninety that are going. So how many more would go if they knew that maybe someone else was going or whatever it is? Like these kids need somebody to talk to, and it's only going to help them be better on the basketball court. Yeah, it's, is there? I mean, it's mind blowing. Are there? Is this unique? Like, is anyone else doing things this way? No, so there, there's um, not, there's nobody that, that has it at this Because I certainly stadium. haven't heard of anything like this yeah, before. Yeah, so there's, I mean, I don't know if there's another club that's doing it like this, um, not from what I've seen, but I'm not in the day-to-day of every club. But, you know, I don't know any clubs that have tutors that come down, nutrition, Strength and conditioning. Man, the amount of support health. that you're providing, it actually makes me feel a bit warm and fuzzy myself. Thinking I if I was that. a young man, you know, trying yeah. to navigate my way, I had a lot of troubles as a young guy as well. But, you know, um, I would have loved to have that kind of wraparound support where people could just sort of say, what's going on? You know? Absolutely. And, like, every time they walk into the stadium, I'm like, how's your day going? Yeah. Because if you don't know how – and that's – for me, that's coaching. Like, if I'm going to take on coaching, like, I got to know – how my athletes are doing. Yeah, so I find it really interesting because you don't just see yourself as a basketball coach, do you? No, not at all. It's sort of like a trick. Yeah. You're actually a a mindset coach. I think so. Like, and basketball is the vehicle. So, I mean, you're a man of many talents. You've got this coaching sounds all-consuming. I mean, I I can tap out at the end of the day. It (laughs) sounds like you start really early and finish really late, but you're also doing things like – um, keynote speaking now, doing yep. some um, some more tapping into your communication expertise. Yep. I'm seeing you at philanthropy networking events. <laughs> what's what's next for Matty Hendricks Jr.? I, I think I just like being in different situations to see if I can adapt. I know you, you can. Know? Um, I think it's big to get into different doors because you never know where that leads. Like I went to the philanthropy thing and now I'm sitting here doing a podcast and, and this is the first podcast I've ever done. 
but it's more so I don't know the limits that I can reach until I try. You know, like I, I got to fail. And it's an interesting story. I don't know if we have time. but We have time. So my sister might get mad at me for saying this, but <laughs> I remember me and her were supposed to get on the bus to go from Salt Lake City to Arizona, right? And my parents are going to come like a couple days later or a week later or whatever it was, but we're going to go down there early. So we bought the tickets and we went to the bus station and we got there. My sister couldn't go through with it. Like she couldn't do it, right? The fear of just us two getting on the bus and whatever it is. Like, and I'm like begging her, like, let's go. We got this, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we ended up leaving, right? And so I want to say a couple months later, I was like, you know what? I'm about to go to college in Arizona anyway. I'll take the bus down there myself. And so we got the bus ticket. And I remember going down there. And I was maybe 15 at the time with my sister. And when I went the next time, so it was a couple years, I believe. I was like 17, so I was a little older. And so we got to the bus station, and now I'm seeing what my sister saw. Like, you know, you see homeless people, you kind of see, you know, drug addicts. You see a lot of things at the bus station. Oh, yeah. Right? And so I got that fear that she got. But I knew that had I been like, I can't do it, my family would give me the same amount of trash talking that we gave my sister for these years. Oh, so you're telling me that the trash talk is a Hendrix family oh, it's trait. Oh, it's a, it's a <laughs> Hendrix family thing. Um, and so... I'm like, I have to get on this bus, mm-hmm. right? Like, I have to get on this bus. And I got on it. But for me, it's like I have to know when it comes to fear. Like, I have to know. Like, I can't sit back and be like, I don't, what if, what if, what if. So when it comes to fear or different situations, like, I got to hit it head on. Love it, man. I got. I have to because I don't know any other way than to fail. So me speaking that the philanthropy stuff is like, I got to know. You know, if anybody laughs, then anybody laughs. So am I right in sort of uh, predicting that maybe your fear of failure is is quite low? Like it's not it's not a huge consideration for you in what you do? No, I, don't, I, don't, I think that speaking things into existence is real. I think manifestation is real, right? So if, if you set your mind to something like the world is going to get out your way, but you have to be locked into that, and yeah. there's going to be trials and tribulations within that, that you have to stick the course to. But, like, if if I put something in my mind, then it's like, okay, how do I manifest this? What people around do I need to do what? What part can I take on? And you go from there. Yeah, and I think, like, it's important to point out, you're not just thinking about stuff. You're actually putting yourself in a position through action for stuff to happen. Yeah, Because I think a lot of people make the mistake that, you know, that secret type of stuff. If I, think, if, if I just sit around and, like, manifest that I'm an NBA basketball player, yeah. it's not going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. So, you, so um, faith without action is void, right? So yeah. you, you, you have to um, get out there and do the necessary things. Um, and to answer your, your question... Like, it never stops. So how you're saying you can kind of tap out once 5 p.m. hits or 6 p.m. hits, you can kind of, you know, now it's family time and you got a lot of time on your hands. But for me, it never stops. So the kids get out of school at 4. So from 4 to 10, I'm pretty busy, right? And then during the daytime, I'm on the phone with coaches or doing whatever it has to do. So you have to find pockets of time to kind of do things that you want to do and, and understand that 
that being a coach is a lifestyle job more so than a, a clock-in job. So players will call me at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning if they're stressed or they're, you know. Your and you, phone, you answer? Yeah, your phone oh has to be God, Your man. phone has to be You're on. You're on call as well. Your, your life is like harder. <laughs> oh you, you, you have to be because once, you're, once your players and your athletes know that you're in the the foxhole with them, like you're you're right there in the trenches. They're gonna play way harder for you, man. That's that's beautiful. What a sentiment. So look, you know, it's incumbent upon me to ask you, how do you like? Everyone needs time to tap out and and space to actually you know get into themselves and clear their head and yeah. you know be at peace. Um, what does that look like for you on the on the weekends, or how do, how do you kind of get to that place of relaxation? I'm a real homebody. Like, I'm a real homebody. So when I'm not kind of coaching or doing things like that, I'm at home. And I like sitting, not not necessarily alone, but I meditate a lot. And not in the sense of, you know, put on the music and breathe in, breathe out. Like, I think meditative state is when you're just not really thinking about anything. And so kind of just sitting there watching YouTube or kind of on the phone, you know, those are kind of my ways to check out. And I love cooking. So when I am done coaching, I'm going to get into culinary arts because cooking is like my getaway because the gym is most people's getaway, but that's what I do. Yeah. So me going to the gym is like. But you play, you still play basketball for fun? No, I still play. Oh, you play black. Yeah, yeah, I still still play. So You're never going to quit that habit. Um no, I'll, I'll retire here pretty soon. I'm 34 years old, so What's, I'll, reti- I'll retire. You're a young man. Soon. You're a uh, young the, man. The, the, the body's a little older. The body's a little older. <laughs> it's been through a lot, man. body's been through a lot. <laughs> um, we should finish up in a second, but um, is music in your family? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I get what you're going <laughs> I want to be yeah. subtle, but you did you know, say something at the philanthropy conference. You know, I, I have some some family members that are that are artists. So we can. You have an iconic last name. I do have an iconic last name, and you know, family that has music around it. So you know, I'll let the listeners kind of take connect it. the dots. Connect the dots. Let me just put it this way: When I was a young man, I had a white Fender Stratocaster, and yeah. maybe somebody in your family inspired me <laughs> to try my hardest. Never quite make it, but yeah. um, enjoyed the ride. That's what it's all about, right? That's what it's all about. Manny, I've really loved having you, mate. Thanks so I much for coming. It. Okay. How can people connect with you and learn a bit more about your work and all the fantastic stuff you're doing in um, Collingwood? But, um, basketball.com.au. Um, yeah, just kind of look up Collingwood Basketball. And fantastic. You can kind of see it. I'm on LinkedIn. You like uh, LinkedIn or how can people hit you up? Um, you know, I'm I feel new like you don't the love link- the, the LinkedIn. Like I'm kind of new to the LinkedIn. Yep. You know, it's kind of like when you had MySpace <laughs> and you went to Facebook. You know, <laughs> yeah, like that's yeah. how I feel about LinkedIn. Like I, I'm kind of getting there. But what about an email? Can people drop you? Yeah, yeah. Email um, Manny dot at CollingwoodBasketball dot com dot au. Great. And maybe what we'll do is we'll pop a, a little link to the website and you in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be cool. So hopefully there's some listeners out there that want to catch up and have a coffee and talk. No doubt they will. Thank you so much, Ben, for coming. No problem. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. 
If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products, or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.